This is David Casillo, and welcome to the Scoring at Home podcast. On today's episode, we'll be talking about women's sports, and I'll be joined by Hannah Withiam, the managing editor of Just Women's Sports, and Dr. Danielle Coombs, professor at Kent State University. We'll talk about the rising TV ratings for women's sports, the issue of equal pay, and marketing of female athletes. Thanks for joining, and let's get started. and welcome to the Scoring at Home podcast. I'm your host, David Casillo, and if you've never joined us before, the way this works is I moderate a conversation between a sports media member and a sports communication researcher about one of the key issues in the world of sports. Today's issue will be women's sports, and there's never really been a better time to talk about it because of all that's happening in this realm. We have the rising TV ratings. The U.S. women's soccer team is now receiving equal pay to the U.S. men's soccer team. And just recently, it was announced that the NCAA would be using the March Madness moniker for the women's NCAA tournament, as well as the men's NCAA tournament. So there's a lot to talk about, and I have two great guests to have that conversation today. All right, I now want to welcome in Hannah Withiam, who's the managing editor of Just Women's Sports and was previously at both The Athletic and The New York Post. And then Dr. Danielle Coons, who's a professor at Kent State University. And much of her research focuses on different areas of sport, and she is also an editor of the recently released book entitled 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup, Media, Fandom, and Soccer's Biggest Stage. Hannah and Danielle, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Danielle, we'll start with you. So it's been well documented that since 2020, women's sports are experiencing a rise in popularity and viewership. So let's start things off by what do you think we can attribute all that to? Well, I think there's there's several answers to that question. I think one of the big ones is just the old, you know, sports adage, if you build it, they will come. I think the more that you see, uh, you have opportunities to watch the, the games, the more people realize it's actually really fun and really competitive and really great. I think that, you know, we've, we've definitely seen a push to get w- more women's sports on among women's sports reporters, fans, et cetera, trying to really push that. I also think that the success of teams, including probably most notably the U.S. women's soccer team, has helped. You know, people know the U.S. women's national team more than they know many, many, many other uh, national teams or women's sports teams in particular. And so I think that their success has led more people to watching U.S. soccer um, and kind of opening some of those doors, which I think then can lead to more of the... uh, club soccer league being aired and things like that. Um, And the last thing I'll note is I think certainly people who were very invested in and connected to um, the ways athletes use their platforms to uh, support uh, politicians and and movements that are important to them. The WNBA has absolutely been at the forefront of that, which has gotten them a lot of press outside of the sports pages, um, particularly in terms of Black Lives Matter, Uh, the work that was being done in Georgia um, for the last Senate race. And and I think that getting the teams and the players outside of the sports pages and into different areas of coverage has also been helpful just in terms of reminding people that this is here and it's worth watching. Hannah, do you echo that? Do you have anything to add in that respect? I think Danielle hit it on the head with, if you build it, they will come. It's really all about exposure. Like I remember I grew up in a sports family, I had three brothers, was a big soccer player. I would have loved to have watched every U.S. Women's National Team game. 
but they just weren't available. Um, so the fact that we're now seeing more women's sports on national television, people who might, who have the potential to be fans, have the chance to watch these sports and these women and become fans from a young age is so important to having it grow. Um, and we're seeing that in the actual TV ratings now, growing with the WNBA, the WSL across the board. And Hannah, in terms of TV ratings and viewership and just interest, do you think this is something that is we're on a, a runaway train and it's not going to stop, it's going to keep going up? Or is this something that you see maybe ebbing and flowing? What do you see in terms of viewership in the future? I, as long as it, we keep putting games on national television, I think it will keep growing. We've just, we've seen the evidence over the past couple of years. The WNBA each year has increasingly gotten a few more games on ESPN, on ABC, and we saw a 68% increase last year. I think they just today came out with the fact that there was an increase this year. So I really only see it growing if that stays the same. We need some other things to change, like the quality of the broadcasts. The NWSL, for example, has a great deal with CBS, but a lot of those games, the NWSL is funding themselves and the quality is off. There are a few examples of that this year. So there are areas, many areas of improvement, but as long as we keep investing in it, I only see it growing. And Hannah, I know that we're seeing increased viewership. You're correct. Those WNBA numbers came out today and they were, again, very strong and good to see. Are we seeing enough media coverage beyond just the games itself to reflect that growth? Is that growing as well? I think, of course, I'm at a company where we are dedicated to covering women's sports 100% of the time. So the fact that we now exist is a great step. I worked at organizations before this where men's sports dominated um, and we took baby steps to covering women's sports. So I think the thing there is you don't really know how many women's sports fans are out there, how well that coverage can do until you invest in it and until you're covering the sport regularly. Um, for example, when I was at the Post and I would cover women's soccer games, those stories would do well, but we didn't do it consistently. And I think, you know, how do you know what the readership is going to be like unless you do bring that consistency? So it's something I would love to see at some of these mainstream outlets. Danielle, you are well-versed in the history of the differences in coverage between men's and women's sports. Do you still see differences today? And if so, where do those exist? Well, I think you have differences both in terms of, of quality and quantity, as Hannah alluded to. You know, the, the quantity is, is nowhere near, obviously. But as, as you mentioned, the quality sometimes isn't there either. And when we're used to a certain caliber of sports coverage, sports commentary, I think it gets challenging to have what we see be so clearly sort of the, the, the B team, so to speak, you know, you're not getting the good coverage, the quality it's on at weird times, it's inconsistent. And so those things send messages to the audience about what matters and what's valued. I remember just a couple of years ago, maybe two or three years ago, um, instead of showing some really important WNBA games, uh, one of the major channels was showing cornhole. Uh, so, you know, it's really something where it, it sort of communicates to fans that there's a lack of respect uh, shown towards these sports and to these athletes and to the fans. Um, I will say that I think the we see some of this uh, echoed in the way women's sportscasters are treated. Um, you know, the ways that the, the roles that they're sort of allowed to have, um, where they show up uh, on field or in the broadcast booth and when. I think that sort of reinforces that there's still a perception that sports are a men's domain and that women aren't necessarily as intentionally uh, 
or, or automatically there as they perhaps should be. And so my hope is that as we see uh, more and more coverage of women's sports, these women-only sports um, news sources, which I think is fantastic and I'm so excited to exist, um, I think we'll see the, the sort of respect that comes with that, which will then extend out across a number of areas. And I'm glad you touched on a lot of that because it really shows that there's a lot of opportunities for growth, especially within sports media when covering women's sports. Uh-huh. Hannah, where do you see opportunities for growth just in women's sports in general? Where there are opportunities for new leagues, new areas of exposure? Where do you see sort of like that untapped market being right now? Yeah, I think we, the two sports I think that have the most established audiences, and it's probably no surprise because their leagues have been around the longest, is basketball and soccer we can still see a lot of improvement there. Um, of course, with on the TV side, on the media side, for example, Danielle brought up that example of cornhole last night, Mercury Liberty went down to the wire. Great game. First round of the playoffs. And they were on ESPN too. And on ESPN was, I think it was like Marshall versus Appalachian state football, regular season. Um, nothing I was particularly interested in. So just keep like, if we can, Get find a way where I know these networks are have contractual obligations, but just keep pushing those barriers and putting these sports in front of more fans. That's a start. And then on the media side, where places like Just Women Sports comes in, I think it's covering these sports and these athletes as athletes. It's not just, I think sometimes you'll see with women's sports, mainstream outlets will write only about the high profile players or only about certain subjects like women and motherhood, which are great stories, but I think we need to cover these athletes as we would the men's athletes, which is on the field, on the court play. Yeah, that's a good point for sure. Danielle, I, wa- I want to turn to you right now because uh, this is right in your wheelhouse. U.S. Soccer announced earlier this month that it would be offering the same contracts to its men's and women's teams. Can you just speak to the significance of that? Well, I think certainly the, the fight for fair pay has been one the U.S. women's team has been incredibly vocal about, really been at the forefront on. And I think the, the attention that's been paid to this has helped, helped encourage people to really think about how these decisions are being made, why these decisions are being made. And, and you know, looking at some of the judicial decisions around those, the lawsuits that have been filed have been a little bit silly um, because, you know, looking at how, well, the women actually wind up making blah, blah, blah but it's because they've been so successful. Um, my hope is that by continuing to be vocal and to push for fairer treatment and to really use their clout and use their power, uh, the USWN, uh, US Women's National Soccer Team will be able to, to have a push on effect for other women in other sports, because I do think they've got probably more power than almost any other collective group of women in the country, you know, in terms of their ability to drive a narrative, to get press coverage. And I think they've, they've wielded that really, really beautifully. Um, one of the things that um, sort of sparked the book about the 2019 Women's World Cup was um, a panel that Molly Yannity, who's at Quinnipiac and I were on, where we were talking about Megan Rapinoe, she came up in this, uh, in this conversation. We were talking about how, you know, she has become someone who has become such a leader uh, on and off the field in a number of issues. And she's really been able to leverage her voice and her platform. And, and she and Sue Bird together, I think, have been able to say, you know, we're, we're worth listening to and, and, and managing to get people to pay more attention. So I love that the U.S. women's team is really showing other women athletes, you don't have to be grateful for the crumbs that you're given. You could really fight for more. 
Hannah, going off of what Danielle just said there, do you see this causing change in other sports and other leagues in terms of pay? I love what you just brought up there, Danielle, because some of the conversations, based on some of the conversations I've had with athletes, Super to make Arpino, of course, a great example. They can share advice with each other. Um, obviously, the WNBA passed their CBA in 2020, which was landmark for them and, and saw a lot of improvements they needed in salary and benefits and things like that. And I know these athletes talk, like women's hockey players have spoken with WNBA soccer players when they, I think it was 2018 or 17, had that boycott um, when they were trying to see improvements in their negotiations. So I think that crossover is key. And as well as the leagues, just seeing the example that's being set by the U S women's national team to try to match it. Um, the NWSL is in the middle of negotiations for their first CBA right now. So having that standard set is, is really important. One thing I just want to add to this too, is I think that sort of impact of these women talking to each other and helping advocate for each other, it goes beyond the financial piece. I was thinking about this in relation to Simone Biles and gymnastics tour that's going on that is deliberately happening outside of USA Gymnastics, right? Like they have deliberately created something that does not tie to USA Gymnastics in part because of their frustration with how poorly that organization has treated their athletes. And so I don't know if 10 years ago, we would have necessarily seen athletes, women athletes feeling empowered to do something the way that she has and these women continue to. So I think that they are lifting each other up in really important ways, financially and otherwise. You know, one of the sports that is has more kind of established viewership and more equality, especially for the big tournaments, is women's tennis. Danielle, what do you think you can point to for that? Why is it that that sport seems further along in equality than other sports out there? I'm not going to be able to cover all of the reasons I'm sure, because I don't know the intricacies of tennis as much as others might, but I, one thing that's made a real difference as I've seen the tennis is they've had prominent female athletes for a long time. So you have, you know, the Chris Everett's, you have women that people have known for, for decades in the sport. And so women have been competing for a long time. So they've had a longer time to build to this. They also have really built in to have the, the sort of payouts and, and the kinds of things have some parity, which has been really important. So organizationally, they've supported their women athletes. But again, this is one of the few sports that women have really had some of the biggest spotlights historically. And so I think that does help. Again, this attention, paying attention, the more celebrity you have, the better known you are, the more attention you're going to bring to the sport, the more power that you have. And I think tennis is one where you've had, it was never just considered a men's sport the way basketball was and soccer was. It was something that was always women played. Well, not always, but women have played it very, very successfully for a very, very long time. And I think that's a really key part. I would add to that, that um, I think there is this standard of gender equality in tennis, as you alluded to, that we haven't seen in other sports. And for example, the tournaments, women and men play under the same tournament names. Men's isn't necessarily the default, like with NBA, WNBA. You see that with, all, with the league names. They play on the same stadiums. They're not playing on inferior fields or inferior facilities. And the women's games are also on major networks. Like the U.S. Women's Open final was on ESPN and generated more viewership actually than the men's final. So it's just another example of why leveling that playing field is so crucial. Yeah, that's a good point. And really, you know, when you look at Billie Jean King and what she went through, that was many decades ago. And I guess now you can see, well, if you get that process started, 
this is the effect down the road. So if we, we see these other sports going through that maybe more recently, 10, 20 years from now, we can maybe hopefully see that equality. But I think people look at, like, for example, the NBA, and there seems to be a perception that the NBA from its creation has been wildly successful when it, it wasn't, you know, it built this over time and women's leagues, I think are unfairly compared often to the men's leagues in terms of attention, time spent watching, money spent, et cetera, when those leagues have had so much longer to develop. And if you look at the trajectories, they're not that far off in terms of how they build. So I think part of it is this sort of selective memory, a collective memory about how the leagues have developed and and what those look like. Because so many people making decisions are making, like who's deciding who's gonna get what money, deciding what's gonna air, they're people who grew up watching sort of the, the glory days of the NBA, the NFL, et cetera. And so to their mind, that's what sports is. And they don't really recognize that those things didn't always exist as wild successes. And so they're asking women's sports leagues to be on par without giving them any of the resources or time that the men's leagues had to develop. So I think that's just an important point in here as well. We've spent a lot of time talking about professional athletes and professional leagues, but I want to shift gears for a second to the NCAA and pose this to you, Hannah. So it was well documented back in March, the different conditions for the men's and women's NCAA basketball tournaments. First of all, what kind of message does that send just overall on how the NCAA kind of views its athletes? Yeah, I think something that was so important about that, we can touch on what message it sent, but the fact that the public even found out about it. And that goes back to how women have, now that they have platforms on social media and have more of a voice, it's being widely shared. We knew from Sedona Prince's video, what was going on at the women's tournament. That was a crucial aspect to it. And I, like I, I, for example, talked to Muffet McGraw after that. And she said, yeah, back in the day, like obviously it was worse then, but we would just kind of say thank you and go along with it. But now they're expecting more and the public is expecting more because we know about it. So I think that was a really important step. Of course, we recently had the Kaplan report come out, which was very damning. And we know that we need to see more of an investment in, in the women's basketball tournament because the potential is there, as they said. Now, the NCAA has never been one to move very quickly, even if there is public backlash. Do you see <laughs> real change in that area coming up, Hannah? We will see. I think NIL, I'm sure we'll touch on this, but I think this will have, this will be hopefully level the playing field for women because it will be a way for, it's an avenue for women to prove that they're worth the investment. Um, I think it was last year during the Elite Eight that the top 10 ranking came out for the athletes who could generate the most um, or what, who would be worth the most based on their social media followings and things like that. And the majority of them were women. So if we can then, they can then translate that into actual value and show the NCAA, hey, like, this is why it's worth the investment. We could start to see some change. You know, on that note, Danielle, what do you see as the marketability potential of the female athlete? I know that we have a few female athletes that have many endorsements, but definitely not as many as the uh, men's athletes. But those few athletes definitely are very notable in terms of their endorsements. Now that we have NIL and this more exposure and more TV viewership, where do you think we're going with marketability of female athletes? I think it's, we're just going to keep seeing it grow. I think these things are all interlaced with each other. I think the more visibility women have, the more fans they attract, the more fans they attract, the bigger followings they have on social media, the more 
uniforms that are sold and merch that's sold, the more endorsement power they have. But, you know, again, people have to know who you are to want to support you and follow you. And, and historically, men who were pretty good male athletes at the professional level, not necessarily the all-stars, but, you know, solid players, they could get endorsements just by the, the sheer fact they were playing in a professional sports league. Whereas women, to break through the sort of barriers that women had to break through to get that sort of attention, they had to be the best of the best of the best and fit a certain physical mold, right? So they had to look a certain way. Um, often that meant white and attractive, you know, not look to, you know, quote unquote, butch, you know, you, you had to really uh, sort of fit a model of what a woman athlete should be. A great example is Mia Hamm, right? So she was an extraordinary athlete, but she also fit the model of what a, a woman athlete should look like in order to break through those barriers. And I think the more women we see who who look different and are authentic to who they are and believe in who they are, the more that fans see them in this current sort of cultural environment we're in, I think the more and more power these women are going to have because you have more women who understand um, how to make this work who are not afraid to take up space. Because uh, again, in the past, we used to say thank you for whatever you know crumbs they could get and, and, and that was the best they could hope for. I think women now see that, that has, the time for that has passed and it's time to take up space and make some noise and really um, become their own advocates and their own brands, which will then translate into more endorsements and more opportunities. Hannah, do you uh, feel the same way? Do you echo that? Have anything to add? Completely agree. And I think the second piece of that is to make sure we're, we're giving equal coverage to these female athletes that falls on the media. And we still see a pretty heavy bias to covering certain types of athletes, predominantly white, predominantly attractive, quote unquote. Um, I think a powerful example of that this year was Paige Becker's speech at the ESPYs when she turned the, the spotlight on black women and said, you know, WNBA, women's basketball, majority black and white women are still getting the majority of the coverage. So yeah, I think it's something that we just continue to need to be cognizant of and because these women have more of a platform where they can share their story and speak their minds, we hopefully we'll just keep pushing that way. Now, Hannah, as we talk about all of this stuff uh, related to media coverage and TV ratings and NIL marketability, let's kind of switch gears here though for a second and talk about participation. What can you tell us about youth level participation for women's sports? Is it, is it reflecting this growth and in interest? I, I can't say I know have much evidence of that based on my own research or reporting. One thing I have done a little bit of work on is coaching in youth sports and especially on the basketball side is just because that's what I've had focused on in the past is how do we get more women in the youth coaching ranks? Um, you still see so many men coaching in college and actually in the WNBA too. Um, and they're also obviously getting more than 90% of the coaching head coaching jobs in co men's college basketball and the NBA. So how do we create a pipeline where more women are getting involved early on and young girls are seeing themselves reflected in these women who are their leaders and their role models? I think that is really important. So it doesn't really answer your question, but that's something I've- No, that, that, that's really helpful. I mean, coaches are an important area of just all levels of sport too. And I think that- now, as you see, there's been a lot of push, especially within the NBA, to consider female coaching candidates. And in female sports, it's just 
accepted that male coaches would be the coaches. Very, very different landscape and atmosphere. Danielle, very loaded question here, but Mm -hmm. will we ever see true gender equality in sports? You know, I'm going to sort of nod to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who said, how many female justices should be on the Supreme Court? Nine. We had nine men for years. Why not nine women? I think, I don't think my goal necessarily would be gender equity or gender equality. I think it's that the most exciting and the best are what we cover and that we don't necessarily have to look at that as having uh, parity because honestly, like with soccer, I would not want it to be where for every women's game you show, you have to show a men's game because sometimes the men's games aren't as interesting or as fun to watch, particularly at tournament levels. I think having, being able to show the best game versus ticking a box would be the thing that I would like to see happen. And, and it's not that I don't think, I think my, my concern, I guess, is that oftentimes when we talk about it in terms of parity, equity, those kinds of things, the perception among audiences and among fans is that you're ticking a box, right? So the women coaches are only getting hired into men's sports because the teams are trying to show that they care about this, right? versus being accepted as these are the best people for the job. So we're going to do it. And what I wouldn't want is there to be a narrative that they're only showing things because they have to show women's sports, which I I fear sometimes happens now. Um, And so people really watch and they see how extraordinary these athletes are. So I think my goal would be that instead of showing, you know, a a B-level football game on ESPN, they're showing the WNBA game that's exciting, that's down to the wire. And that's not something they would think twice about. Again, I think this often goes to the biases of the people who are making those programming decisions. Um, Oftentimes they're men who have grown up watching men's sports. And so they assume more people wanna watch or everyone else wants to watch what they wanna watch. And I think the more we see women's sports, the more women are in there making decisions, the more men see women's sports and realize how extraordinary they are. Um, the more it won't be about equity and parity so much as this is something we automatically do because it's the best. Oh, there are a lot of good points there. And Hannah, it leads me to another question. What role can sports play and women's sports athletes play in the fight for equality of all women, not just in sports, but just in the United States and in the world? Yeah, it's funny to ask to talk about that now after the WNBA legitimately played a hand in flipping a Senate seat. So hard to, <laughs> hard to beat that example. Um, but yeah, I mean, just having these athletes as role models, going back to like when I was growing up, I'll never forget to going to my first UConn women's basketball game. I grew up in Connecticut and seeing Diana Taurasi and thinking, God, she has, I, I was never a basketball player, but like the confidence she has, hopefully I can be that type of person someday. And so having those qualities, um, obviously these, these women are great leaders and being able to just actually read about them and see them on TV and see them on you know, various social media platforms is so important to spreading that message. And also because these women have fought for equality their whole lives, they're not just going to stick to sports as the conversation we've, we've had a lot over the past couple of years, because it's just part of their nature um, to to continue to fight while they're playing the game they love. And Danielle, I, I want to pose the same question to you, especially because I know that you've done a lot of work with women's soccer and focused on that a lot. And you have some of the most important figures in sport within there. Yeah, I think, again, it, women are starting to realize how much power they have. And they're starting to 
leverage that that public power. I think obviously they've had their own internal power, but I think they're starting to to sort of recognize, particularly this older generation of athletes who are in their mid to late thirties. So we're sort of seeing the the twilights of their careers, if you will. And I think these are women who I've been very impressed with their willingness to step up and say, I'm going to provide cover for my teammates so that they can play this game and build their own brands while they can still show ways to support. And I'll be the face. I'll take the flack. Again, I think Megan Rapinoe is an excellent example of this. Um, you know, she's willing to be up there and be the sort of lightning rod uh, for negative attention, but that's letting the women behind her develop and figure out where they want to be and figure out how they want to present themselves. And we see more and more of the, the younger generation starting to come into their own. I think um, the women athletes have inspired so many young girls now who are growing up. And I really see in, you know, Gen Alpha, Gen Z, you have a couple generations of girls who are very familiar with these women who are very inspired by them and who have learned from them that they don't have to wait their turn, that it's okay to take up space and to, to say, you know, this is not right and, and demand justice. And I think you cannot underestimate how much these women have changed the ways we think about public discourse and the ways we think about women's role in that. And for that, you know, as the mom of, of two girls who are 10 and 11, I'm eternally grateful. I look at the USWNT and their tour, uh, Carly Lloyd's rail tour. They were in Cleveland and Cincinnati playing in front of tens of thousands of, of people in the stadia. Uh, and so many girls were there cheering them on wearing the jerseys, cheering on their favorite athletes. And that was really, really powerful. Well, we can only hope for more opportunities like that in the future. And as I wrap things up here, I just want to thank both my guests for joining me. You've been tremendous. I was so happy to have this conversation. And I want to thank the listeners for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this month's podcast. And stay tuned because we'll have another one dropping next month.